do you define a successful life? Talk to your parents, talk to their parents, watch a little history channel, and you will quickly find that success has been defined differently throughout the ages. Some cultures, like the Romans, esteemed glory and honor. They didn't really care how much cash they had in the bank. They were all about doing great things in society. Other cultures, like the Epicureans, didn't care about being ambitious. They wanted wealth and pleasure. And then you have cultures like the Jewish culture who cared about justice and righteousness. If you look throughout the thousands of years of human history, you will find that success has been defined differently. If your definition of success is already developed in your mind, where did it come from in the first place? These are vital questions because however you define success determines how you live your life. Scripture tells us that there are all kinds of different influences shaping our lives, influencing how we view success. Some of them can be good and healthy. Others can be destructive and deadly. Jesus, through his life, through his teachings, shows us what these destructive versions are and how to resist them. If the second temptation came wrapped in a religious package, this third temptation comes in a package that looks more like success. If the second temptation was to be super Christian, the third is an invitation to be semi-Christian. Let's read Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and the angels came and attended to him. Here, Satan puts forth, as one theologian once put it, a lying success. And in order to defeat it, we must understand what is being offered, what is the cost, and how we refuse. So the first question is, what exactly is on offer? What Satan is doing here is presenting Jesus a legitimate goal to be pursued in illegitimate ways. Think about it. The kingdoms of the world are being shown to Jesus. Are the kingdoms of the world bad? Aren't they the very reasons that Jesus came into our world was to seek and save the lost people from every tongue, tribe, and nation? Satan is presenting a legitimate goal, but the offer is to pursue it in an illegitimate way. He wants it to be based on the principle of self-service. Jesus, take the power and use it to serve yourself. The choice being offered to Jesus here is the option of exercising his vocation without his self-sacrifice. Essentially, he's saying, you can have the mountain without the cross. This is a temptation that we face all the time. It's essentially a success story with God as optional. And we view this story on the cinema screen of our imagination. 
Now notice in the text, Jesus is shown the kingdoms of the world. Jesus is shown their glory. Satan knows why Jesus has come into the world. He's come for people. And that's exactly what Satan is presenting to Jesus. Look at this. These are the kingdoms of the world. They're full of people. Isn't that why you came? Wasn't it for the people? I think the lesson here for us is that temptation will be tailor-made just for you. It'll be customized for you. Satan always wants us to pursue legitimate goals in illegitimate ways so that we're not thinking of God when we evaluate our lives and when we evaluate our careers or our decisions that might even be for good purposes. And yet, what if we pursue them in ways that actually disintegrate our souls? What if we pursue our goals in ways that are actually harmful to other people? What if we pursue our dreams while forgetting God? See, the temptation for us is to think that if my career advances, then everything must be perfect. But that's not always true. Satan is always selling us a different story, a life script without the cross. And some of us may have already bought in. It's a version of accomplishment that just doesn't involve God. But we don't even begin to think of it as a temptation because after all, look, this is a, this is a legitimate goal. I, it, I just want to serve other people. And yet all the while, God may be completely absent from the picture. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, the well-known Christian pastor and martyr who lost his life during Nazi-era Germany, drives this point home in a spectacular quote. Listen to what he says. It makes no difference whether it is sexual desire or ambition or vanity or desire for revenge or love of fame and power or greed or money. Joy in God is extinguished in us and we seek all our joy in the creature. At this moment, God is quite unreal to us. He loses all reality and only desire for the creature is real. Satan does not here fill us with a hatred of God, but with a forgetfulness of God. Legitimate goals, but pursued in illegitimate ways. That is what is on offer. But what does it cost? What does it cost if we buy into this lie? Firstly, it will cost your allegiance. Satan says, all this, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me. The kingdoms of the world are offered in return for worship. Jesus understands this. The enemy's goal is to get us to desire something so much, so badly that we'll take them with or without God. And I wonder if you've ever been in a position in your life where you've said that very thing consumed with thoughts, I want to get the relationship, I need to get the career, I need the accolades, I need this particular vocation, and I need it so badly that I'm going to take it with or without God. I see it all the time in the church. And I've seen it in my own life. The moment 
where you are willing to do absolutely anything to succeed in your career or your vocation or your pursuit is the moment that you have made it your God. Is the moment you have worshipped creature rather than creator. Make no mistake, it will cost your allegiance. And secondly, it'll cost your course. How you actually order your life because whatever you are then pursuing is now going to shape your behavior. And if God is optional, then he's no longer influencing the way in which you order your lives. And thirdly, it will cost your soul. Why? Because the success story that Satan offers is a lie and it doesn't deliver. It only destroys. And slowly but surely, you will become like the one who presented you the plan because we become like what we worship. These are moments of temptation that are pervasive. They fill our days and they fill our weeks. They arrive to us through advertisements all the time or just wishful thinking, aspirations in popular culture. And yet if we are not clear, if we are not being led by the Spirit of God through the Word of God, then we slowly but surely will buy into these lives and they will shape our character. They will shape the type of men and women that we actually become. But this does not need to be the path that we take. In fact, the New Testament gives us a wonderful promise. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, Paul the Apostle says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So how do we refuse? In several ways. First, by following Christ as a model. Once again, Jesus demonstrates his love for God as supreme. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And Jesus quotes this with scripture. Again, Jesus challenges this version of success that Satan is offering with scripture and you and I should do the same. His allegiance was with God. See, something else was already playing on the cinema screen of the imagination of his mind. He was captivated by God. Jesus was enthralled with, with his father, See, all the commandments in scripture are all connected to the very first commandment, which is to love the Lord your God. In fact, you never break any of the rest of the 10 commandments without having already broken the first. Once we put something else in God's place, we have fashioned an idol, and then that leads you to breaking all the rest of the commandments. But here, Jesus is demonstrating allegiance and devotion to the first one. And I want us to see that Jesus here doesn't just have scripture memorized. It has captured his imagination. It has captured his affections. See, in the, the Christian church, we promote scripture memorization, and that is good, and that is right, and that is awesome. 
But I want us to go beyond just scripture memorization. I want it to capture our affections. I want us to think deeply and pray these truths deep into our heart, not only so, so that I can memorize it, but so that I can take it deep within my soul so that it can fire up my imagination so that the whole way I'm looking at the world and I'm looking at career and I'm looking at vocation is shaped by what the word of God says. A vision of success that is determined by loving God above all and loving people. And from that place, Jesus says to Satan, go, leave. So we refuse this offer by following Christ as a model, but secondly, by trusting Christ as Savior. See, Jesus rejected the easy path on this mountain, and he took the cross on another mountain. Because he did not give in, he was able to save those who have. Listen, this is a very important truth for every heart. Jesus did not resist temptation in order to condemn you for giving in to yours. He resisted temptation in order to save you from them. He provided a way of escape and forgiveness for when we don't take it. The theme I want you to see in Matthew chapter four, in all these three temptations, is that there are really two kingdoms calling for your allegiance. Two kingdoms constantly calling us for our attention and for our affections. Satan's kingdom says, give me your life. God's kingdom says, I've already given you mine. When we remember all that Christ has sacrificed for us, when we call to mind the great love that he has shown toward us in living on our behalf, dying on our behalf, and rising on our behalf, it truly captures the heart. And it motivates us in an entirely new direction and gives us a whole new vision of success. But there's something that happened before Matthew chapter four, and the connection is vital. At the very end of Matthew chapter three, what do you see? It's Jesus' baptism. It's that moment where Jesus was taken into the water by John the Baptist. And as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens opened and the spirit fell upon him like a dove and a voice from heaven came saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It's this voice from heaven the Father speaking over the Son. It's a wonderful statement. And it is a statement that is true for every single one of us who believes in Jesus. All the love and all the delight heard in that voice at the end of Matthew chapter three is conveyed to every single person who believes in Jesus. Here's the connection. It's only when you know that you have heard the voice from heaven that you can face all the voices from hell. It's when you know that through faith in Jesus Christ, the Father delights in you 
and the Father rejoices over you that you discover the strength to face any temptation that Satan can throw your way. And that is how we overcome. The temptation is always aimed at splitting the relationship. It was so with Jesus in the wilderness, and the same is true for us today. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, severed their special relationship with God in the garden by giving into temptation, even in the best of circumstances. See, oftentimes you and I think, well, if my circumstances were perfect, then I would never give into temptation. That's not true, read Genesis. They had everything they needed. They were in the garden walking with God and their relationship was still severed because they gave into the lie. They gave into temptation. But Christ restores our relationship to God by overcoming temptation in the worst of circumstances, in the wilderness, not the garden. This means that no matter where we are or what we face, we can overcome lies with the power of the truth. If you have lost the battle of temptation, there is forgiveness through the cross. And if you need strength to face temptation, there is power in the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus stood where Adam and Eve fell. Jesus stood where Israel and Moses fell. And Jesus stood where you and I have fallen so that we can stand And our resistance to sin and temptation is always rooted in our love for God. And our love for God is rooted in his love for us. That is the gospel truth. 